to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. This morning, I'm going to talk a bit about supporting the work of Pearl. But before I do that, I want to begin with the most buoyant and heart-filled thank you that I can muster. Thank you. Thank you for supporting the work of this church. If someone would have told me two years ago that we would become a virtual community for 17 months due to a worldwide pandemic, I don't think I could have fathomed fathom this small, beautiful church surviving. And yet, here we are. Here we are. The pandemic is beginning to decline. Life is slowly finding a new normal. And we're now under eight weeks until we gather at Ecotrust to stand together for our call to worship. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus explains a connection between money and hearts, saying, where your heart is, there, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm so grateful to so many of you who treasure this church. For truly, your tithes and offerings have sustained us. And I want to begin this morning by saying thank you. As you likely know by now, Pearl Church exists to cultivate three rhythms. We are cultivating a sacred story, we are cultivating a common table, and we are cultivating the animation of divine love. We like to say it this way, Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. So that is what we are doing. And then there are our values, which articulate the fundamental elements of our essence and character. And so Pearl Church is gratitude. Pearl Church is inclusion. Pearl Church is integration. Pearl Church is peace. Pearl Church is renewal. And Pearl Church is transformation. As some of you know, several years ago, I had a crisis of faith. When we first began meeting at Ecotrust, the tradition I'd grown up in had me thinking that it was my job, our collective job, to try and save people from some place called hell. And so I have this lucid memory of walking into Ecotrust for the first time and, and even hoping and praying and imagining that this church, Pearl, might win some souls for Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's the language that I was taught. Oh, but then I got to know some of the people who work at Ecotrust. Many of them had pursued higher education to take lower-paying nonprofit work because they were passionate about transforming local economies, environments, and relationships. And I quickly came to realize that their work was a renewing work. 
I quickly came to realize that their work was a transforming work. I quickly came to realize that their work was a kind of work that was making practical and good and wonderfully necessary change in the world. And that made me want to ask, what are we doing? What, what am I doing? I mean, is the total sum of Christian work to save incredible people who are transforming the world for good from a place of endless torture because they don't believe what I was taught to believe growing up? And this made me wonder, especially in light of this Bible I'd spent my entire life studying, is salvation nothing more than saving people from this place called hell and getting them to this place of, of bliss called heaven? Because that would mean that my work, our work, would be to spend our entire lives telling others what we know about how to get in, how to be quote-unquote saved. And so think these thoughts, value these ideas, live these ways. Oh, but just take a moment to pause and think all of this through. On a political level, these are the tenets of imperialism. Believe like us, behave like us or else. And on a personal level, these are the notions of narcissism. I am right. I see clearly. Think like me, behave like me or else. And suddenly, good news had become bad news, and I was in the middle of a crisis. What, if anything, does Christianity have to meaningfully contribute to the world here, now, and today? And backing up just a bit further, what, if anything, does religion have to meaningfully contribute to the world? Because many of our big and ancient world religions came out of political religious landscapes that insisted on tribalism and ultimately imperialism in order to preserve specific ways of life and ideologies in a world at war. Now, I could continue down this rabbit hole, and honestly, I did for many years. But at some point, a person has to just walk away from imperialistic and narcissistic religion so as to not act violently toward others, or a person has to begin reimagining the meaning of religion for today's context and culture. At first glance, the work of reimagining religion may seem radical or heretical, but if we take an honest look at Judaism or Islam or Buddhism or Christianity or any other ancient religion that continues into today, each has necessarily over time evolved because over time notions of goodness and love are not static. They actually broaden and deepen and, and expand to involve more compassion, more mercy, and more inclusion than anyone ever thought possible. And this, I think, is context for meaningful religion. A willingness to broaden and to deepen and to expand in order to extend more compassion and mercy and inclusion out into the world. Which is in contrast to a context that I would call irrelevant or maybe even harmful religion, which is an unwillingness to broaden an unwillingness to deepen, an unwillingness to expand, which results in doubling down and intentionally staying the same in order to insist over and over and over and over again, we're right, you were wrong. 
see it like us, believe in it like us, behave like us, or else. In my mind, this context for meaningful religion is exciting. It's thrilling. It wakes up wondering, what is good? And it asks over and over again, is this, whatever this is, is this love? And it's more interested in the wrestling and the ever-expanding answers than it is in doubling down and fighting for what good and love were yesterday, last year, last century, last millennia. In 1984, a group of religious leaders from many religious traditions began meeting at what they called the Snowmass Conference. I've shared about this before because it's, it's incredibly beautiful. Uh, they gathered together in order to engage in interreligious dialogue. Among these leaders were Father Thomas Keating, Catholic, Roshi Bernie Glassman, Buddhist, Swami Atmaro Pananda, Hindu, Amambalal Hyde, Muslim, Grandfather Gerald Red Elk, a Sioux shaman, Pema, the great Tibetan Buddhist, and Rabbi Hoffman, Jewish. The words used to explain their time together were intimate, trusting, transformative, and inspirational. Isn't that beautiful? If only Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, indigenous, and Jewish religious people could meet together with openness and honesty to experience intimate, trusting, transformative, and inspirational conversations, as opposed to more and more tribal violence, we could all be so much further into the land of goodness and love, truly the city of God. One key goal for their time at the Snowmass Conference was, rather than argue about how they're all different, and to be clear, religious difference is important because that's what makes each religion unique and meaningful in its own way. But for the purpose of this conference, a key goal for their time together was to investigate various points of agreement, for which they found eight. Uh, first point of agreement, the world religions bear witness to the experience of ultimate reality, to which they give various names. Second point of agreement, ultimate reality cannot be limited by any name or concept. Third point of agreement, ultimate reality is the ground of infinite potentiality and actualization. Fourth point of agreement, faith is opening, accepting, and responding to ultimate reality. Faith, in this sense, precedes every belief system. A side note, because human beings have been opening, accepting, and responding in faith to ultimate reality since long before belief systems even ever existed. A fifth point of agreement, the potential for human wholeness, or in other frames of reference, enlightenment, salvation, transcendence, transformation, blessedness, Potential for human wholeness is present in every human being. Sixth point of agreement. Ultimate reality may be experienced not only through religious practices, but also through nature, art, human relationship, and service to others. Seventh point of agreement. As long as the human condition is experienced as separate from ultimate reality, it is subject to ignorance and illusion, weakness, and suffering. And eighth point of agreement, disciplined practice is essential to the spiritual life. 
Yet spiritual attainment is not the result of one's own effort, but the result of the experience of oneness with ultimate reality. Aren't these points of agreement incredible? As vastly different as each religious system is, there's fundamental similarity at the soul level of these religious perspectives. For me, these points of agreement are foundational to what I think Jesus is referring to in this morning's Bible reading when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if I were to summarize these eight statements statements into one grand point, I think it would sound something like this. Meaningful religion exists to facilitate transformation and to nurture peace in our lives, in our relationships, and in this world. Meaningful religion exists to facilitate transformation and to nurture peace in our lives, relationships, and world. And so, if religion does not facilitate transformation, And so, if religion does not nurture peace, I do not think it can be called useful religion. And if the scope of religion is not both personal and societal, then it is either too personal or too impersonal. Religion must, to be truly good, its goodness must extend to us, to those outside of us, and ultimately to the entire world. It must be that good. And this kind of religion, well, I think it's desperately needed in our world today. I mean, we have politics, which are supposed to be about policy for the common good. And and we have science, which studies the structure and behavior of this physical and natural world. We have psychology, which under the sciences seeks to understand the human mind and its effect on behavior. We have the glorious humanities, which is concerned about culture and literature and history and art and music and philosophy. But then we also have religion, which, like good politics and good science and good humanities, pull us and sometimes even push us forward into greater understanding, compassion, and ultimately love. I believe that the world is in dire need of this kind of religion. Religion to facilitate transformation. You can change. You can grow. This can change. Uh, This can grow. Here's a path and a way of being moved forward. And we desperately need religion to nurture peace. Your peace, my peace, our peace, always our peace. Because we, including this creation, are all intrinsically connected and intertwined despite our sense of alienation and difference. You see, what we need is not less religion, but better religion. Better religion that is dedicated, that that exists to facilitate transformation and to nurture peace. That being said, I think it's important to mention that at Pearl, although we are warmly pluralistic, we are also intentionally and deeply Christian. That's to say, we are for good religion, all kinds of good religion, And we'll even draw from the goodness and wisdom of other traditions because goodness and wisdom are not exhausted by or contained within one system of belief. And yet, yet we here at Pearl are deeply Christian. Our lineage, our scriptures, our liturgies, our calendar, our Christ 
are deeply and pervasively Christian. Now, some developmental theorists have postulated that the future of religion is assimilation, and they, they may be right. But there are other theorists who I tend to agree with that argue that, that all is too much. It's too broad. It's so many lineages and scriptures and liturgies and calendars and Christs that, that coherence and meaning end up getting lost. I mean, just for a moment, try and get your mind around the Bible and then try to get your mind ar around the, the Upanishad, a Hindu text, and then try to get your mind around the Quran, the, the Muslim text. It's just too much. Too many stories, too many symbols, and this doesn't even begin to get into liturgies and calendars and histories. And so, here we are, warmly pluralistic and absolutely for good religion in every form while also being deeply and pervasively Christian, expressing a sacred story whose pinnacle is Jesus, our incarnation of divine essence, and extending a common table inaugurated by him whom we call Lord, so that we might be animated by divine love, which results in free, full, and wonderfully alive human beings. We, here at Pearl, are dedicated to facilitating transformation. And we, here at Pearl, are committed to nurturing peace. And along with all of our brothers and sisters in the world, we are groaning for the end of tribalism and violence in the name of God, so that peace can truly reign in the name of love, which is the very thing that a good God and consequential religion are pointing us all toward. Throughout college, I would listen to a classical radio station, and they did a donation drive four times a year, and I used to hate it. I remember thinking, and maybe even saying verbally in my car, stop asking for my money, just, just play the music. But now, being the pastor of this nonprofit organization for so many years, I get it. We cannot do what we do without your support. We need pearl lovers. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to call you. We need pearl lovers to keep this whole thing afloat. We exist because people find value in what we offer. And you know what? In an ideal world, I would never talk about money. I mean, some wealthy person would just cut a check and cover our expenses every year so that we can do what, what we do. But, but honestly, I'm not sure that's even ideal. I mean, he, here's what I mean. In my mind, there's something wonderfully beautiful about 50, 100, 200, 250 people who say, when I'm away, I miss this. Or, I never thought I'd feel pride in a church, but I do. Or, I thought I was going to walk away from faith because what I was given no longer worked, but then I found Pearl. Or, I delight in being part of a community that's making space for so many people who have been told by the church, you cannot belong. Or, I have family and friends from far away who now follow this community virtually online. And it means so much to them. Do any of these statements reflect your experience here? Are you a pearl lover in the flesh or through the internet? Can you concur? Pearl Church is facilitating transformation. Pearl Church is nurturing 
peace? If your answer to these questions is yes, will you faithfully and generously support our work? But to me, even more importantly, by donating, will you declare, I believe in this work. I'm thankful for this work. This work is important and it needs to be done. In other words, this community is a treasure and my heart is here. For truly your support of, belief in, and gratitude for this church very literally makes all that we do and hope to do possible. Later this summer, on August 1st, Pearl Church will turn 20 years old. Can you believe that? Just over 20 years ago, I was 23 years old. And I have this memory of sitting with Jen on the front steps of a small church that I had grown up in and had spent three years pastoring high schoolers. We were looking ahead to August 1st, 2001, at which point I was ending my youth pastor work to try and help start Pearl. And I remember sitting there, it was after youth group one sweaty August evening after all the kids had gone. And I remember saying to Jen, how do we know if this is the right path? I said, I'm not so sure that I'm old enough or, or wise enough or the right person to try and be a part of starting a church. Now, looking back, I realized that language was all code for, I'm really scared. Uh, I don't feel capable. I feel insecure. And I'll always remember Jen basically saying, hey, uh, we have to follow our heart. And our heart from the very beginning was with and for this church before it ever came into being. And I look at Pearl's journey, and I look at so many of your lives, and I look at this audacious work that we're doing, which is the attempt at living and loving life together, and I am filled. I am filled to overflowing. Not because we've gotten it all right, and not because we have all of the answers, but because we have feebly but faithfully tried to follow our collective heart into more and more divine love, which is always and forever benevolently inexhaustible. Over this last year of COVID, I've had the privilege of spending many hours putting together a class called Reconstructing Christian Faith, which intends to help those of us who have deconstructed to reconstruct nonviolent, coherent Christian life. We've offered this class once, and we hope to offer it again and again and again. And, and in the final class, we take some time to think about what this, uh, Christianity, what Christianity is. And while it may be many things, Christianity is, at its essence, a religious tradition. The word religion is derived from the Latin religio, meaning reverence for the gods, holiness, a system for belief. And religio is derived from the Latin religare, re for back, and legare, to bind together. Religion is therefore, at its essence, a system, a scaffolding for reverence, holiness, and belief that binds people together. And then there's the word tradition. Tradition comes from the Latin traditio, and it means the action of handing over, of passing down stories, beliefs, 
and customs. And so you see at its essence, a religious tradition is a system for reverence, holiness, and belief that binds people together and is passed on from one generation to the next through stories and customs. I love that. Pearl Church is a religious tradition. We help give shape to a system for life in this world that binds us together. And because of its goodness, not its power or its might or its tribalism, but because of its goodness, the life and way and invitation of Jesus are being passed on from one generation to the next through the stories we tell and through the customs that we embody together as a community. In other words, we exist to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by divine love. May our unyielding belief in divine love hold us together. May our unyielding belief in divine love help us forward in this world. And may our unyielding belief in divine love be so wonderfully good that it remain helpful and relevant not just to us, but to our friends and to our neighbors and to our children and to our children's children for generations to come. May it be so, and let us pray. Triune God, your yoke is easy and your burden is light, but we are worn and weary and weighted down by all that needs transformation and renewal. May your love restore our souls and reinvigorate our lives as we follow in the ways of Jesus. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.